Hello, my rebels. What a delight to have you listen to a podcast, although I can't help but think it's like watching my show with your eyes closed. I mean, sure, you can hear my sensual voice, my voice that just relaxes you and feels great at the end of a busy day. I get that. I get that. I hear a lot of that. But why wouldn't you open your eyes and watch the show, too? It's a long way of saying, hey, guys, you really should subscribe. Go to the rebel.media slash shows. And it's eight bucks a month, I'll grant you that. But what's that, like half a latte or something? For eight bucks a month, you get my daily show. Sheila Gunn-Reed has a show, David Menzies has a show. And if you go to the rebel.media slash shows and type in the coupon code podcast, you get 10, I think it's 10 bucks off or 10% off, 10 somethings off, 10 quatloos off. It's a good show, and um, of course we need the money because that's how we pay the bills around here. Hey, if you're listening to this on, on a podcast, can you do me a favor and, and give it a five-star ranking, even if you only think it's worth four and a half stars? You know, give me a tip. All right, without further ado, let me uh, play for you today's episode, which is about Justin Trudeau, the serial groper, the handsy close hugger, the sexual harasser? who was finally told no by a woman, and he didn't know what to do about it. Here, take a listen. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, Justin Trudeau's most loyal friend says he does his best when he's facing adversity, but is that really true? It's March 1st, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I published it is because it's my bloody right to do so. What a week! Jody Wilson-Raybould, the most principled politician in a generation, willing to go nose to nose with the Prime Minister, her boss, and not back down, not be moved, not be moved after 10 meetings and 10 phone calls trying to move her. For a period of approximately four months between September and December of 2018, I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people within the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion in my role as the Attorney General of Canada in an inappropriate effort to secure a deferred prosecution agreement with SNC-Lavalin. These events involved 11 people, excluding myself and my political staff, from the Prime Minister's office, the Privy Council office, and the office of the Minister of Finance. This included in-person conversations, telephone calls, emails, and text messages. There were approximately 10 phone calls and 10 meetings specifically about SNC, and I and or my staff were a part of these meetings. You know, Justin Trudeau has this move, it's a personal domination move, it's a pickup artist move, it's a personal space invasion move. He does it to all the women around him who are subservient to him. All of these photos, all of them are inappropriate. This is the key moment when he inducts these women into his cabinet. Well, he doesn't do the induction, the Governor General does, but Trudeau imprints upon these women that they are his. They belong to him now. They're in cabinet only by virtue of him, by his largesse, by his patronage. And he doesn't do so with a handshake. That's what typically does, professional to professional, people of high achievement and high office. He does so with a close hug, a personal space violating hug. Sometimes it's a full body hug, chest pressed up against chest, hip pressed up against hip hug, hands fully embraced around the other's back kind of hug. Give me one more moment on these utterly appalling hugs just for a moment, there's a lesson here. You, you try hugging someone like that at your work. You work at a bank, you work at a law firm, you work in some corporate office. And remember, this isn't young colleagues, you know, having some banter. This isn't some 20-year-old college kids working together as waiters and waitresses in a bar. Casual, fun, everyone's young and single, equal in power and casual. This is the prime minister, a married man himself, almost 50 years old, Appointing women of achievement, well, okay, let's be honest, most of his cabinet have very few achievements other than being women, he said as much himself, but at least in the case of Jody Wilson-Raybould, she was of high achievement. Now, he's a married man of 50, leader of the country, appointing women of high achievement to a high public office, the governor general's right there, and he gives him a full body hug, or even just a personal space invading hug, almost nose to nose, 
almost cheek to cheek. In the case of Kirsty Duncan, they're everything to everything. Glad they still have their clothes on. What's that all about? That's about domination. That's about destroying their identities as women of achievement who made it there on their own work and own merit and replacing it with an identity that they exist subordinate to him, subject to him, submissive to him. And if he wants, he's going to walk right up to them in front of the entire political court and give him a full body hug if he bloody well chooses. And what are they going to do about it? Pull back? Push him away? Tell him he's creepy? Stick out their hand to shake his hand instead? If you were to give them a full body hug in private, now that would be bizarre. But it might actually yield a, a complaint, a reaction, a revulsion, a pushing away. But for him to do so in public is actually even more shocking because then it's a, a dare. I dare you to object. In the key moment of their lives, the highlight of their public life at least, no doubt, he's letting them know and letting their families know and letting their friends know and letting everyone else in the room know that it's only by his good graces. And that like the, the mythical medieval princes, he has droit de seigneur. He has the right to bed any woman in the kingdom simply by virtue of being the prince. Would you, as a married man, hug a married woman like that at the workplace? It's outrageous, but that's how he lets the world know. I'm the boss here and I own you and you are here at my whim. One more picture on this point. Look at this. This is a moment where Trudeau told Jolie Wilson-Raybould that she would be in cabinet. He's leaning way across the table. And look, he's, he, he's touching her hand like he's proposing marriage to her or something. And look at the difference in body language. She's genuinely moved and touched and reaches for her own heart. This is a moment that resonates with her and her family. Going back centuries, they've been Aboriginal activists in that family for half a century. But here, watch, watch this for a moment. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's father, an Aboriginal leader, bantering with Pierre Trudeau decades ago. Listen to what he says about his own daughter. I have two children in uh, Vancouver Island, both of whom, for some misguided reason, say they want to be a lawyer. <laughs> both of whom want to be the Prime Minister. <laughs> Both, both of whom, Mr. Prime Minister, are women. It was lighthearted banter, but it was true. His girls grew up to be great. I don't agree with all their politics. That's not the point here. The point here is they are the vehicles of the honor of their entire family going back generations. First person in their family to go to college. First person to be a lawyer. First person to be a prosecutor. First person to be a member of parliament. First person in the family to be a cabinet minister. The pride, the duty, the generations. That's what Jody Wilson-Raybould was thinking when Trudeau proposed that she would join cabinet. But he, he was posing for his photographer, who was right there. And look in the background, Gerald Butts and Katie Telford there too, approvingly. The great white giver, lifting up the Aboriginal woman, like Rudyard Kipling said, take up the white man's burden. So the liberals, for them, this wasn't about Jody Wilson-Raybould. It was about how noble Justin Trudeau is to Jody Wilson-Raybould. He's such a saint. But I think she is made of sterner stuff than the bimbos who agreed to be in cabinet other than him, like Miriam Monsef. Remember her? So you were born in Afghanistan, correct? I believe I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you liar. That was a lie. That's the opposite of honorable. She, she, she fraudulently claimed to be from Afghanistan on her refugee application. Or, or this airhead. Climate action makes business sense, business sense, business sense, business sense. That's not a speech impediment. That is not an accent. That's an affectation. It's called vocal fry. It's trying to sound like a Kardashian. It's a thing. Yeah, Jody Wilson-Raybould had a bit of a different path in life. So the close-hugging, body-rubbing, sexual inappropriateness that Justin Trudeau has used his entire life, including in his personal life, including back in Creston, British Columbia, on August 4th, 2000, when Trudeau sexually assaulted a young reporter named Rose Knight because he didn't realize that she was important. He always does that because Trudeaus always do that. That's how they operate with women. Here's the Milwaukee Sentinel where Trudeau's mom, Margaret, describes how Pierre Trudeau treated her. Let me read a bit. I mean, Pierre and Margaret Trudeau, they each cheated on each other. But Pierre beat Margaret so badly she had black eyes. She said she liked it. it. It proved he cared about her. Let me read a little bit from the Milwaukee Sentinel. Pierre slugged me, she said the next morning. He's given me a black eye. 
but things are going to be okay. He doesn't mind my being a photographer. Actually, I was quite pleased. It was the first time in a very long time, wow, that I've been able to get a response from Pierre. He got all his hostility out, and he hasn't shown me so much attention in years. It showed he really loved me, she said contentedly. In a strange way, it's made us closer. I guess I felt this was his way of showing he cared. Pierre must have felt closer to me because that night he was very macho. That's the house Justin Trudeau grew up in. That's what he learned to take as normal in a family. Beating women, treating them as dirt, treating them as interchangeable, swappable property. That's why, for example, Justin Trudeau walked right up to a bride on her wedding day and walked right up to her and, and, and kissed her. Her husband standing there, Trudeau came in to take what was his. He's the prime minister. He can do it. And like the female cabinet minister being sworn in, what? <laughs> Were they going to make a fuss about it? Push away the prime minister? Cause an incident? He'll pose with teenage girls topless because he loves it, because he has no problem treating women as pieces of meat. So he's fine when they treat themselves that way. Imagine posing for that photo or this. Trudeau loves this stuff. I'm not sure that his wife, Sophie Trudeau, loves it so much. Then again, I haven't seen her in public with him in quite a long time, have you? Here's Trudeau on the campaign trail the other day uh, with his kid, with his kid, not his wife. Where's Sophie? Where's Sophie? You know, Melania Trump was out of the public eye for a few weeks recovering from surgery. Surgery. She was in the hospital. There was a story a day implying a divorce was imminent. Melania Trump is fleeing from the Donald. No, she was in the hospital. But Sophie Trudeau goes months without a public sighting. Uh, she's seen in public without her wedding ring, but shh, we don't talk about that. Look, people, it's not being lascivious to notice Trudeau's bizarre conduct with women. He's the lascivious one. I say again, you hug a woman, especially a subordinate, like he does in any private sector office, you're fired. Who does that? It's, I'm not gross to point it out. I'd be complicit if I didn't point it out. Why the hell aren't we pointing it out? It's so creepy. And I say all of this, this lengthy preamble, because Justin Trudeau has his way with women, whether it's groping them in Creston, BC, giving them full body hugs at the governor general swearing in, or if it's asking them to turn a blind eye to his ethics. He just tells women what to do and doesn't accept no for an answer until Jody Wilson-Raybould came along. At that point, the prime minister jumped in stressing that there is an election in Quebec and that, quote, I am an MP in Quebec, the member for Papineau, end quote. I was quite taken aback. My response, and I vividly remember this as well, was to ask the Prime Minister a direct question while looking him in the eye. I asked, quote, are you politically interfering with my role, my decision as the Attorney General? I would strongly advise against it, end quote. She literally stared Trudeau down and his whole team. No one has ever done that before. No one's ever stood up to Trudeau before, let alone a subordinate to Trudeau standing up to him before, let alone a woman standing up to Trudeau before, let alone a woman he tried to grope hug to condition to accepting his dominance like some cheap pickup artist at a bar at 2 a.m. That's why this is a disaster for Trudeau, because it rings true. The same Trudeau who didn't take no for an answer from Rose Knight in Creston. Didn't take no for an answer 10 times, 20 times from Jody Wilson-Raybould. That's why this hurts Trudeau, because Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony was utterly credible. Her details were meticulously noted. Trudeau's a liar. We, we know that. The Ethics Commissioner said as much when the Ethics Commissioner convicted him of four violations of the law. He fired her. We know Trudeau doesn't know any files in any detail. Once in a while, Trudeau tries a parlor trick. Like, remember this one? Normal computers work either there's power going through a wire or not. It's one or a zero. They're binary systems. Uh, what quantum states allow for is much more complex information to be encoded into a single bit. Regular computer bit is either a one or a zero, on or off. A quantum state can be much more complex than that because, as we know, uh, things can be both particle and wave at the same time, and the uncertainty around quantum uh, states uh, allows us to encode more information into a much uh, smaller computer. So uh, that's what's exciting about quantum computing. That's Trudeau, the drama teacher. 
practicing his rehearsed line. He spent three hours that morning memorizing that. He didn't spend three hours actually reading briefing notes. He does that a parlor trick, but most of the time, when he doesn't have time to memorize a line written for him, he sounds a little bit dumber, like this. A uh, nuclear power like North Korea that has shown um, a level of uh, irresponsibility and um, fundamental irresponsibility to, to not use a, a, a word like uh, crazy, which I will not use, um, is, uh, uh, is of real concern. Um, you know what Trudeau's real thoughts are on quantum computing? Uh, here's how he thinks about time and space uh, when he doesn't have someone giving him a rehearsed line. We have to realize that the way of thinking that got us to this place no longer holds. We have to rethink elements as basic as space and time to go all science fiction-y on you in this sense. <laughs> At least that's just some dumb line he uses to pick up chicks in a bar. Uh, sometimes when he talks politics, he sounds like this. Quebecers are better than the rest of Canada because, you know, we're Quebecers. So, so where are we now? I'll tell you where we are. We have an utterly credible woman who just detonated an utterly unserious man. And the icing on the cake, she is a woman of color, Aboriginal. She trumps Trudeau on his favorite playing field, identity politics. He's just a privileged white male who inherited a fortune and a name. She earned everything she has the hard way. How can he win? Polls show he's falling behind. It looks bad. It is bad. It's the worst week he's ever had. But look at this from the husband of Katie Telford, Trudeau's crooked chief of staff. This is Rob Silver, a liberal activist, husband of Telford. I actually like Rob, as liberals go. But look at this. The palace guard, the inner circle, look at their line. A political observation. There are a lot of people publicly writing PMJT's political obituary today. It's not the first time this has happened. Betting against Justin Trudeau has been a losing bet over his political career. He usually does well when underestimated. Is that true? I agree that it is never wise to underestimate anyone. And maybe the conservative campaign in 2015 did that. I don't know. I think the conservatives lost in 2015 because Stephen Harper had stuck around one election too many. Because the NDP vote collapsed in Quebec after Thomas Mulcair went full in on supporting Burkas. And once those Quebec numbers tanked, they were reflected in the national polls. And the anti-Harper vote, which had been equally split between liberals and NDP, immediately coalesced around the Liberals instead of being split fairly evenly. And it, it was just a done deal in that last week. I think the media was obviously 100% in the tank for Trudeau. I think he also had 100-plus third-party campaign groups helping him. And yet, despite all this, he only got 39% of the vote. Now, a win's a win, though. But as to Rob Silver's point, never underestimate anyone in politics, including Trudeau. But is it really true that Trudeau does well in times of adversity? That's what's going on now. People aren't underestimating Trudeau right now. They're fighting Trudeau right now. They're resisting him. They're rejecting him. It's not that he's being underestimated now. It's that he's having a tough fight. Maybe the first one ever. So when the going gets tough, do the tough get going? So put aside how other people may feel about him. I think that when you've been prime minister for more than three years and have led the polls for most of that time, I don't think anyone's underestimating you anymore. I don't think that's really happening. Who's underestimating him? It's not a perception problem. Am I overestimating, underestimating? Trudeau really does have a problem. He might even have a criminal problem. It's certainly the biggest battle of his life right now. A credible insider has basically revealed everything. It would be like if the right-hand man of Tony Soprano had spilled the beans. It's pretty tough to understate the power of it. Maybe it's Trudeau who's underestimating the problem he's in. Andrew Scheer, Maxime Bernier, Jagmeet Singh, even the Globe and Mail's reporters on this file, they couldn't do the damage to Trudeau that Jody Wilson-Raybould did. Only the ultimate insider could, a cabinet minister. 
star candidate, someone who was personally recruited by Gerald Butts, someone who was in the heart of the matters to do with the SNC-Lavalin. This really is like a major mob boss ratting out the capo di tutti capi, except that it's bigger than that because Jody Wilson-Raybould was never a mobster herself, right? She always had clean hands. You could disagree with her on ideas, but she came with clean hands. She was like you and me. She assumed that we had the rule of law in Canada. She assumed that the prime minister conducted himself ethically, even if he was ideological. And unlike all the other Trudeau cabinet ministers, she just refused to go along with it. She alone resisted the charm of the close hugger, the groper. She couldn't care less about his perks and power. So it's an enormous blow, and maybe he himself underestimates it. Today, Trudeau was tweeting about going to the moon at the Lunar Gateway. Hey, guys, can I tell you about this moon thing? Hey, come on, guys, this is a Lunar Gateway. <laughs> maybe he'll talk about a new pair of socks he has. That's what he always seems to do when he's in trouble before. Doesn't seem to be working this time, and, and he can't very well call Jody Wilson-Raybould a, a racist or a Nazi or alt-right, as he usually does with his critics. And the, of course, there's the minor problem that Gerald Butts himself is uh, hampered right now. But does Trudeau have the chops? Does he really do well under pressure against the odds? Well, I don't think we know. I think the closest thing he's ever had to a real fight was actually a physical fight against Senator Patrick Brazo in the blue there when the two of them boxed for charity. I was actually a tuxedo-clad announcer for that fight, if you can believe it. That was way back in the day at the Sun News Network. Um, Brazo looked a lot tougher, and I think people thought he would win. He was, he was heavier. He was, I think he was stronger. But Brazo really wasn't a boxer. Uh, he did some brawling, but Trudeau had actually been a trained boxer his entire life since he was a kid. He has the stamina, he has uh, the endurance, he has the strategy. I think it was a fair fight. I'm not saying it was easy. I think it was a tough fight. But Trudeau was better than people knew. He certainly took it more seriously. Brazo was a smoker uh, when it came to boxing. He was just a dabbler. I'm not saying it was a done deal. I thought Brazo would win. But I think Trudeau had some secret knowledge. He knew he was a lifelong boxer with lots of cardio. Brazo was big and strong, but he blew himself out after one round. But the myth was made, giant killer. It was a great myth. And I myself had a part in making that myth since I helped hype up the fight. But back in real life, what fights has he actually ever fought? Real fights. I don't mean the play fighting for a charity boxing match. What adversity has he actually ever overcome? Nothing in terms of wealth and privilege he inherited all from his father, who inherited it all from his father. So what adversity did he overcome in life? I, maybe you could help me in this one, but I can't think of anything. He didn't hold down a job, he didn't have to. He, he dabbled, but he didn't stay with the job if it didn't hold his attention. He did snowboarding for a while, but he quit when that got boring. He taught substitute drama classes for a while, but he quit when that got boring. He went to school to get a graduate degree in environmentalism or something, but he quit when that got boring. He didn't finish it. He ran for the liberal leadership race, you know, he's 40, time to grow up and do something. Uh, but he ran against a bunch of no-names. Okay, Mark Garneau was the closest to a known opponent, but it was really a ton deal. I mean, come on. I wouldn't even call it a stitch-up. It was just so overwhelming. The entire party apparatus was in his favor. He crushed his tiny opponents, many of whom were just phoning at him. And, of course, the Liberal Party members actually made the right choice. He, he won. That's the proof that he was the right choice. But please, don't tell me it was tough. Trudeau, in his own riding in Papineau, had a close enough fight, his first entry into politics, back in 2008. He beat the bloc by only 3%. Okay, good fight. But don't tell me he wasn't the favorite and hasn't been the favorite ever since. It hasn't even been close since. And, and don't tell me he's had adversary, ad adversity as prime minister. From whom would he have had this adversity? From the CBC? Did you see this love-in interview with Rosemary Barton? I swear to God, it genuinely, truly looked like a first date, the smiling, the glimpses, she touches her face, she touches her hair, she laughs. Does he notice me? Is he looking at me? I'm nervous. I'm excited. I can hardly wait to tell my girlfriends about it when I get home. I think Rosemary Barton, I think she's in love. She took this selfie. I think she has a little hope chest, a little box under her bed with this picture. It's a picture of her and her man. And I think she doodles hearts on it and daydreams, has another glass of wine, offers a glass of wine to her cats, maybe gets in the bubble bath. 
Until the story about Jody Wilson-Raybould and the Globe and Mail came out this month, last month, can you tell me one single piece of investigative journalism that was done against Trudeau? I'm sorry, I'm laughing about the bubble bat. I just made that up. Uh, or when the facts came out. When the facts came out with investigative journalism, can you tell me one instance when he was ever held to account? Bev Oda was fired for $16 orange juice by Stephen Harper. Trudeau put not one but two nannies on the government payroll, and the media cheered. Sorry, what adversity has he ever faced? There's been no digging into him. There's been no campaigns by the media to have him thrown out. There's been no one saying his election was discredited. He's only ever had ease in his personal life, in his financial life, in everything, in politics, in the media. What adversity has he ever faced? Other than in a boxing match that one time. Trudeau doesn't love governing, by the way. He doesn't love being prime minister. He loves being a mascot. He loves the schmoozing of it. He loves the selfie. He loves the private jet travel. He loves sprinkling money around. He loves the reality show that is his life now. But he hates the governing part. He took off about 60 days last year as just personal days. He often skips question period. He is the master of no policy file, maybe except the marijuana file only because he himself is a smoker. In fact, that's another unreported aspect of his life, his massive consumption of alcohol. And, and he admitted he's smoked drugs since becoming an MP. He's got a $1,000 a week budget for wine on his official flights. Look at him here. Watch this. Look at this quadruple wobble. Ready? Wobble number one, wobble number two, wobble number three, and he's going to wobble one more time, one more time. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm sorry, don't tell me he's sober there. That was on a trip to Chicago to meet some leftists there. He was drunk there, drunk or stoned. Imagine if that were Harper. Imagine if that were Harper. It's boring now, this shtick. It's tired. Here he is when he met Angela Merkel. Look at my socks, Angela. Hey, hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, hey. I got this. Hey, hey, hey. I got to show you. Hey, look at my socks. Hey. Yeah, that's sort of funny once. Um... But Angela Merkel, it seems to me, I think she's the most serious woman in the world. Uh, I don't think she looks at someone's socks more than once. You can do that party trick once to her. And she's like, oh, say good, but what uh, her Trudeau would do about this? Like, I, I, I think after like one, I don't think, I don't even know if she's, if she's genetically capable of laughing. Okay, so Baron Von Novelty socks Shows the socks once, that's great, but I don't think it's going to work with her more than once. Theresa May, Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, Narendra Modi, Xi Jinping of China, Benjamin Netanyahu. These are extremely serious people with extremely serious issues. They're busy people. They don't take personal days at all. <laughs> they, they, they want to talk to other decision makers. If they're going to a G7 meeting, they, they, they hate it because it takes them away from real things. They, if they're there, they'll talk to decision makers, relevant players. Justin Trudeau is not that. Thanks, the sock trick didn't even work the first time. It ain't going to work the second time. I don't think Justin Trudeau's having any fun anymore now. He loves the fun. He loves being a Kardashian. He loves talking about how much he respects women and having women coo at him for saying so. He loves giving tearful apologies, oh. but only for the misconduct of other people. He has never apologized for anything he's ever done because he's never done anything wrong, including to Rose Knight or Jody Wilson-Raybould. They just experienced it differently. I say all this to tell you, I don't actually think Trudeau is good with adversity. With being underestimated, maybe, but that's not what's happening right now. But overcoming adversity, I don't think he's ever done it before. Certainly not like Jody Wilson-Raybould has. Trudeau's never been the outside chance. He's never been the long shot. He's always had the inside track. He's always had the rules rigged ever since he was a kid. Listen to this for a second. My little brother Mishi died about 20 years ago um, in an avalanche accident. Uh, about six months before, he was driving back uh, back home from, uh, from uh, the West Coast across the country and he got in a terrible, terrible car accident uh, and his truck tumbled uh, and a Sucrets box went flying across the highway and 
um, when the police were helping him clean up and tow, they opened up the Sucrets box and there's a couple of joints inside. Um, so he was charged with possession. When he got back home to Montreal, my dad said, okay, don't worry about it. You know, reached out to his friends in the legal community, got the best possible lawyer and was very confident that we were gonna be able to make those charges go away. We were able to do that because uh, we had resources, my dad had a couple connections, uh, and uh, we were confident that my little brother wasn't gonna be saddled with a criminal record for life. That was a clip about his Trudeau privilege. Man, it feels good to be a Trudeau, is how he could have summed that up. That's the point he was trying to make. A rich, powerful kid like him has it easy, but he was also showing how comfortable he is with bending the law, maybe even breaking the law, wasn't he? He was saying how privileged he is, but he was saying how he uses the privilege without any criticism. Bending the law, that's a hell of a thing to look at in light of this SNC-Lavalin scandal. That's not how Jody Wilson-Raybould grew up. I don't think that's how any Aboriginal in Canada grows up. And then they say some rich Trudeau from Montreal saying, hey, can you bend the law for my friend? Yeah, your people go to jail. There's some prisons in Canada, 40% Aboriginal inmates. And imagine telling the Aboriginal Justice Minister, hey, um, Jody, um, some of my friends from the fraternity, they got in a little bit of trouble paying $48 million worth of bribes in Libya. Um, can you just let them off the hook? Your people can go to prison. Uh, me and my friends, we don't do that. Yeah, no. I, I don't think it was Trudeau who's underestimated. I think he underestimated Jody Wilson-Raybould. I don't think Trudeau knows how to do well in hard work, in a hard fight. He's not good at it. I think Jody Wilson-Raybould might be. Trudeau has never been in a tough spot before. He's never created a company. He's never started something and followed it through. He's a, he's a quitter. He's a playboy. He's a vacationer. He's a jet setter. He's a serial groper. He's not a fighter like his dad was. He's not a street fighter like Jean Chrétien was. He's lazy, actually. 60 days off last year. Oh, and he's pampered. I think he might actually lose the next election. And I actually think he might quit. I know you're thinking no one quits in politics. All of his cronies want him to stay. They have too much at stake. It's, he's there at gravy train. But he himself, I think he just wants to be Peter Pan. I actually don't think he signed up for this fight. I think he liked the fun part about being PM, and that's gone now. I think there's a chance he might quit. What do you think? Stay with us for more. Overall, I want to make sure that we provide people with the most voice possible. I want the widest possible expression, and I don't want anyone at our company to make any decisions based on the, the uh, political ideology of the content. That is Mark Zuckerberg, the founder and CEO of Facebook, speaking before Congress. But is it true? Does he really want people of every political background to have a voice on Facebook? Well, new information from Project Veritas suggests that was yet another lie by Mark Zuckerberg, who I think doesn't have much credibility left, but if he had any, it's gone now. Introducing via Skype our friend James O'Keefe of Project Veritas. James, congratulations, another scoop. Tell us a little bit before we get into your clips today, how did you connect with an insider on Facebook? Did you find them or did they find you? They found us, um, they found us about uh, a year ago. Um, uh, they just reached out to us. They had decided to take a camera into the organization and film. And uh, it's rather heroic what this person did. So they, they reached out to us, they sent us the documents. It took us a while to corroborate those documents and track down the engineers who wrote them, but pretty extraordinary work done by this insider. Well, congratulations to you and to them. I tell you, whistleblowers in the past were usually in government, but companies like Facebook are as large as many governments 
and in a lot of ways have more power over our lives. I'd like to show a few clips, and, and by the way, to our viewers, and you know James O'Keefe, he's the founder of Project Veritas. He's got the full video, which I recommend you find on his website. But here's a few clips. James, this first clip is about de-boosting, which I think is a made-up word. It's, I guess, supposed to sound more positive than what it really means, which is censoring or restricting. Let's watch, let's watch this quick clip, and then I'd love you to explain it to us. Take a look about de-boosting. Right. And where did you see this de-boost language when you were present in the Facebook facility? Where, where did you see this appear on whose pages? Um, I would see it appear on several different conservative pages. Mm -hmm. I first noticed it with an account that I can't remember, but I remember once I started looking at it, I also saw it on Mike Cernovich's page, mm -hmm. saw it on Steven Crowder's page, as well as the Daily Caller's page. Did you check pages of people who are not conservative to see what it said? Yes. Um, at first I was wondering whether this is something that I had you know, a couple working theories. I was like, maybe this is an independent versus mainstream thing. Maybe independent figures on the left are experiencing the same kind of de-boosting. Mm -hmm. But I didn't see that. I looked at um, the Young Turks page. I looked at Colin Kaepernick's page. Mm -hmm. None of them had received the same de-boost comment on their account. So James, tell us what happens when some anonymous, uh, some anonymous person at Facebook decides to de-boost your page, what happens? So basically this de-boosting terminology was utilized, was invented by this guy named Danny, Danny Ben David at Facebook. And basically it just takes off the notifications, it takes the de-boost away from the video. When you're live streaming on Facebook, your video gets boosted. It, it, it's a live video. It shows up on people's timelines with more frequency. So this engineer describes uh, this Danny Ben David engineer who wrote this code, calling it de-boosting. It's very similar to the word shadow ban. These are, these are the sort of words that describe the activities where they, where they, they demote your, they, they downrank your content. They demote it. Um, they take it off your timeline. They make it so that it's harder to see the video. But what's interesting about the deboosting and what makes it so bad is that you don't know that it's occurring. Mm -hmm. Facebook has a very uh, sophisticated and policing mechanism, whereas if they do take your post down, Ezra, they, you can appeal it. And there are people who allow you to, to go, for it to go back up. With the deboosting, it they don't you don't know that your videos are being deboosted, and that's what's so nefarious about it. Hmm. Um, we heard from your source there that they do it for right wing uh, commentary and pundits. Uh, there's no reason why a secret tactic like this wouldn't be used against actual political leaders like Donald Trump, just to pick the obvious. I mean, once you have a secret protocol called deboosting. I mean, that's the point, it's in secret. They could be deboosting candidates in the heat of an election, am I right? Right, and they did it to Mike Cernovich, The Daily Caller, and Stephen Crowder, according to our, our uh, insider. She looked at other pages that were of the left, and this was not occurring, but just the fact that it is occurring uh, is of concern. It's an automatically generated piece of computer code that converts these live stream videos, like the one we're having right now, I don't know if this is live streamed on Facebook, but it's converted into text and machine learning goes through and it identifies the words that I'm using. And if I use certain sorts of words, it de-boosts the posts, hmm. takes away notifications, doesn't show up in other people's timelines. According to the engineer um, in, in the video, he's describing how this is how this is done, and it limits a video's visibility and new news feeds. So it's very troubling, and, and and I think that that's what's nefarious is that Facebook is the bills itself as the public town square. People say, well, it's just a private company. Well, not when if you don't if you don't if you're not given a platform in these companies, you don't actually have a right to speak. It's the way people communicate with each other. Yeah. So this whole argument, it's a private company. I mean, in many ways, it's its replaced the, the, the power of freedom of speech. Right. It's become more power, powerful than all three, all the media companies combined, all three branches of government, because all of the media companies and the government communicates their messages through Facebook yeah. and Google. 
Yeah. So if you censor people without them knowing, that's the thing that really bugs me. And that's why this insider felt compelled to come forward, because she felt that the company was doing this and not being transparent about it. Yeah, it, it sounds like people who lived in company towns, you know, sometimes a mining company would build a quote, a town, and they would own everything, including the sidewalks and your own home and the corner store. And to say, well, hey, you know, we can treat you this way because it's actually private property. Well, there's a deep problem when, with that when the entire nation, the entire internet is the plaything of Zuckerberg. I want to speed up because we've got uh, a few more clips I want to show. Here's one, and they, they come up with the funniest words. They must laugh and laugh and laugh, James, when they, when they come up with these. Uh, here's one called Troll Twilight Zone. It sounds pretty funny. Uh, I don't see anything funny about it. Take a look. Yamamoto goes on to describe other methods of combating hate speech. He writes, Introducing friction via the troll twilight zone will confuse and demoralize them. On his next slide, he defines the troll twilight zone, saying it will enact, quote, drastically limited bandwidth, auto logouts, and comments and posts will magically fail to upload, unquote. Just below this, Yamamoto writes that his troll twilight zone feature will be triggered, quote, leading up to important elections, unquote. Well, there you have it right there, James. I mean, there, so you think maybe something's wrong with your computer. You think maybe you're doing it wrong, but no, that is the computer, pro, that is Facebook screwing with you, Twilight Zone, messing with your head, logging you out. And again, this whole thing is secret, but the killer line there, I think, James, is that this is a tactic that they plan to use in elections. Facebook might be saying, well, you know, this is just a, a wishful thinking. This was something that they intended to do but did not actually do. But the insider actually saw a troll index, a troll score on what's called the fake account index on the content review tool. So she actually saw this, this troll score being applied to people based upon what's in the deck. And, and Seiji Yamamoto, this engineer, actually confronted the guy um, uh, yesterday morning. And I was in I was in San Francisco. I was at the uh, train station and I asked him about this and he said no comment. And then he threatened me with by calling the, the police. And then he got on his bicycle and rode away. So <laughs> I just want to know. I just want Facebook to be transparent about what they're doing when people don't know. Yeah. And I'm really sick and tired of this, oh, I'm a private company, I'm a private company. Listen, they are so powerful that you don't even know what's going on unless Facebook is telling you. CNN, New York Times, and, and many, many bloggers, podcasters, and media companies derive the lion's share of their revenue by sharing their content on Facebook. So they, they are the filter that allows us to see what's going on. I, I just want them to be honest. I think Facebook owes the world an explanation about number one, the deboosting, and number two, the troll scores they're assigning to accounts, this insider. It's not my words. It's a Facebook employee who, by the way, lost her job for uh, blowing the whistle, for, for, for giving these documents, taking these documents and leaking them. Hmm. So uh, she, she paid an enormous price for doing this. Well, that's very interesting. I want to show one more clip. And this is, of course, from your larger video. I would encourage all of our viewers uh, to go to projectveritas.com. Of course, we've had James on the show for many of his scoops. Take a look at this. Uh, an actual bullying psychological psyops campaign from Facebook against their enemies list. Take a look. Another tactic that Yamamoto describes sounds like outright bullying. Quote, when a user does something egregious, warranting an account suspension or deletion, we should notify the friend network. Fear of being outed as a miscreant is what regulates behavior in real life, and we should reintroduce that to the online world, unquote. Huh, so, <laughs> so Facebook isn't content with just kicking you off or throttling your site or logging you out, it's going to positively shame you. That, that's, I mean, that's almost defamation as a tactic. They're going to smear you as a tactic to break your will or something. That's what he's yeah, talking it, about. This is, this is one of the slides from the PowerPoint presentation that Yamamoto wrote at Facebook where 
They are going to notify your friends if you've done these behaviors, exhibited these behaviors. And it, it reminds me of Nathaniel Hawthorne and the Scarlet Letter or something like that. And this is probably one of the more egregious things, according to another person I talked with in Facebook that, he, you know, this person said, this is this is just egregious what what the company is doing. Um, again, I, I, I want Facebook to respond and I want them to talk about this troll score and and. Um, and these words in this PowerPoint presentation, we're not talking about like racial slurs or, uh, you know, Klansman graphics. We're talking about words like lulls yeah. and, and mainstream media and, and normie. And I, I mean, the right has kind of appropriated meme culture, particularly in the presidential election. So this was an effort to actually identify non-harmful speech which has political connotation and, and to assign scores to that speech. And people do not know this is occurring. Yeah. So this is pretty this is pretty amazing stuff. And and the fact that this person is testifying, she saw it with her own eyes and she took the documents and they fired her. Um, Ezra, they fired her or they, they let her go uh, two days after our story on Twitter last year. Hmm. So that's very suspicious timing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, let me put up one more slide, and you've been generous with your time. James, I know you have a lot of interviews to do today, but we have a slide from the uh, PowerPoint presentation of this uh, uh, engineer, Seiji Yamamoto. So here are the words that they are uh, calling, you know, harmful, uh, normie, which I think refers to sort of severely normal, non-political people, IRL, in real life, Chatelet, which is sort of a funny Proud Boys uh, slogan, um, cuck, you know, it's a, it's, it's a word that's hard on the ears. It means sort of a spineless person. Zucked, I think, makes, I think that means makes fun of Zuckerberg himself. You said mainstream media is actually, anyone who says mainstream media is considered a troll. Was that one of the bad words too? It's in the glossary of the troll report. It's in the glossary of the troll report that uh, that we uploaded to our website because there's a lot of documents that she dumped. The word the words MSM actually appear. Overton window also appears in the glossary, sort of defining these terms, this terminology, um, and a lot of it is I mean, conservatives use MSM. There aren't many. There aren't many leftists that use the term MSM. I mean, the you know the the, the Democrat media complex tends to like the mainstream media, so it doesn't use these words are considered pejorative, I guess, critical words that describe media. So Facebook has identified these words and assigned a troll report score on on user accounts in this on this content review system, this back end of Facebook that are insider saw. Hmm. And uh, again, these words are not, they're not racial slurs. They're, they, we're not talking about, I mean, one could even argue that hate speech may or may not be allowed, but this is not hate speech. Yeah. These, these are, it's like using the, you know, he's just the way conservatives talk. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it's an effort to combat the sort of meme culture that these engineers might argue got Donald Trump elected. Yeah. You know, I absolutely believe that on some social media companies, even the acronym MAGA, Make America Great Again, I absolutely believe that's being used as a trigger word for censorship. Of course it is. Well, I mean, I, it's, uh, I, I take it that's not one of the words you found here, but I have no doubt that that has or will be used because these well, but, but the, the documents clearly show that they are. So what's interesting about this report is that they would deny that they're even doing this. Yeah. They would deny that there is even such a thing as deboosting um, or that it would be used for political purposes. This program was Sigma is called this deboost program was intended to combat maybe pornography, violence, suicide is the thing that we think it was. But why is it showing up on all these pages? It's it's mining language. So, you know, it's really it raises a lot of questions. And um, I didn't know that they were doing this. I don't think you did. We suspect it to be the case. But now we have engineers and documents with the admissions. Yeah. Or they could do what they did in the UK yesterday and just delete Tommy Robinson's whole account with him. One million followers. I guess that's a little embarrassing. So they go this secret route. James, you've been generous with your time. I'm going to invite all our viewers to go to projectveritas.com. Let me ask you, do you have more videos in this sequence, in this series, or do you just have the full extended version of this conversation? 
Well, we, we're doing this series on big tech, and we do have more videos. I do encourage everyone to look at the full raw uh, interview on YouTube. It's pretty fascinating. It's it's it, it it's an amazing story of what this person did, and I and I. I also think that we need other people to be brave. If you're watching this and you're on the inside, we need people who have courage. We need people who are willing to make a sacrifice and follow this this woman's example. And we have other people, Ezra, like that. And we're, we're I'm going to be at CPAC this week. I'm going to be speaking on the main stage Friday, and I'm going to be asking people to come forward and, and do what she did. It's really heroic what she did. She lost her job. Yeah. She lost her job for, for, for leaking the documents. So, yeah. yes, there's more to come. Uh, next couple of days will be focused on this particular story and, and, and her story. And then stay tuned for more to come. All right. You're the best. There he is. James O'Keefe in a sane world. He'd be winning a Pulitzer probably once a year. Uh, but for now, he has to simply receive the thanks of a grateful America and a grateful world. Thanks, James. And keep up the fight. All right. Well, stay with us. There's more ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my interview with Manny Montenegrino. Jan writes, what a passionate and insightful interview. Truly appreciate his wisdom and experience because he has the insight to know why and what they are doing. Yeah, Manny's great. And I love letting him go because he's got a lot. He's got like 10 points. He's got like a, a big notepad of things he's got to go through. And I don't know most of them. I sort of learn. I take notes. Sometimes I got to go follow up what he's saying because I have never heard it before. I really appreciate his insights on the NAFTA renegotiations. Those are great videos. And he's just right on on this stuff. So I'm glad you think so, too. On my monologue yesterday, Ron writes, Minister of Democratic Institutions, the term has a weirdly Orwellian ring to it, doesn't it? Like mini-true or memory hole, as though the democracy belongs to the government rather than the people. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. And that's exactly the way it's being described. I mean, that Michael Wernick, that insanely partisan, crazy man, clerk, who we now learn was part of the shakedown of Jody Wilson-Raybould, he's on the committee, this five-man hand-picked committee that's going to determine what's disinformation or not, what's fake news or not. Yeah, no thanks. Paul writes, the unholy merger of big tech and big government. They don't just want to control the Internet. They want to control everything. Yeah, you know, I remember, I mean, the internet is young enough and I'm old enough to remember when the internet was a tool of freedom to get at government, to get around government, and when the people in the internet had that ethos of this is the, this is the frontier. It's a bit of a wild west, but it's free like the wild west was. It has utterly been colonized now. Now tech is the preferred domain of the censors because you can do it much more easily through the stroke of a key than you can through something as messy as a trial. I'm really worried about this Karina Gould and her plans to regulate the election. I think you should be too. I should probably be more worried because I know the first keystroke they'll make is the one that shuts us down. Well, that's our shows for the week. We've had a busy week. The whole world has had a busy week, hasn't it? I hope you're enjoying our programs until Monday. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.